Thank you, everyone. It's great to see you, to be here in person, to actually uh, meet with God together and enjoy his presence. Hooray! We get to do it for Christmas time as well. That's, that's good news, isn't it? It's good news. Um, we're going to finish off, as Rob said, our series looking at the uniqueness of Jesus this morning. And I'm going to look at the awesome control of Jesus. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, however, with recent uh, US elections taking place where you had two men vying to become the most powerful man in the world, when they went on their live TV debate, something was clearly lacking from both of these candidates. There was a clear lack of self-control. They want to exercise control over a whole nation, and indeed, because the US is the most powerful nation, to some extent, the whole world. And yet, they lacked control over themselves, it would appear. The Bible says, it is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have control over yourself than over whole cities or indeed nations and the world. St. Augustine of Hippo famously said, The good man, though he be a slave, is free. The wicked man, though he be the master of all, is a slave to as many masters as he has vices. And there's a phrase we use in, in this country, isn't there, that we say, power corrupts, which is true to a certain degree. But the second line, absolute power corrupts absolutely, isn't true because there's only one person who has absolute power. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he is incorruptible. In this series, we've seen Jesus' power over sin, over sickness, over death. We've seen his power over creation, over storms and things like that. We've seen his power to change circumstances and events. We saw last week, Rob looked at how Jesus is seated in all authority in heaven now, a, a symbol of the absolute power that he has always had. But today, I actually felt God specifically speak to me a few months back about speaking on a subject we rarely think about, the power that Jesus had over himself. As fully God and fully man, he would have had to exercise power over himself, self-mastery, self-control in many circumstances, even, in fact, over him not returning yet, over his second coming, is an exercise, in one sense, of self-control, because all of heaven is yearning, and in fact, we're told all of creation is yearning for Christ to return, and yet, why is he not returned yet? The Apostle Peter tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, that's his promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ has not returned yet, as he wants more people to hear the good news of the gospel and respond to it so that more people will reach repentance. He wants people from all nations, every ethnic group represented before the throne, and then he will return. Obviously, a series on Jesus wouldn't be complete without me just highlighting something about the second coming of Christ's return. And just there's four things that actually all Christians agree on in terms of Christ's return. Firstly, that no one knows when he's going to return. So if someone tells you, oh, I've, I've worked it out, I've, uh, I've seen this, uh, there's a map in the Bible and I've worked out when the precise time. No, no, no one knows when he's going to return. When he returns, every eye will behold him. It's a supernatural, universal event that's going to take place. When he returns, he comes to judge the living and the dead as well. And then finally, when he comes, he comes to wrap up history and usher in eternity. Until that time, God is patiently waiting for this gospel that we have as a church, and the church generally, you know, not just us here, uh, has to take to the very ends of the earth so people can respond to it. And we have a part to play in that. And today I want to look at Jesus' self-control, his control over himself, so that we can learn from it, apply it to ourselves, so that we can be more effective, as to pinch Anna's word, that our light can shine brighter to the world around us, and we can help speed, yes, speed his return. 2 Peter 3.12 tells us that we have a part to play in waiting for, but also hastening the return of Jesus. So let's look at the control of Jesus over himself. Jesus is the only person to have absolute power, and he exercised it perfectly, including over himself. Flawless in every attribute was the Son of God. You see, in his temptations in the wilderness, despite not eating for 40 days, the devil comes along and tries to tempt him to abuse his power, to turn you know, stones into bread so that he can satisfy his desire there. But Jesus demonstrates perfect control over his appetite. Here and in John 4, verse 31 to 32, he controlled his body, his appetite, in order to make sure he was doing God's will above the will of his body. He, he made his body subject to what God wanted him to do. I thought I'd add that one in there as it's a worth us remembering that as we enter this, this Christmas festive season, uh, that we think about controlling our appetites as well. Jesus had complete control over his desires to be in line with his Father's will for him. Now, I'm going to need uh, two volunteers for this, and I... I I'm going to say children or young people, or if you're young at heart, you can. And yes, 
you are going to eat chocolate at the front. So you need to be able to exercise self-control, potentially. Well, Nathaniel's hand was definitely up first, so you can, you can come down here. And Owen's hand was up second, so Owen can come down here as well. There you go, Nathaniel. Owen, do you want to come stand up here? Now, this is an exercise in self-control, okay? Have some lovely chocolate. No expense spared, you see, Rebels. Oh, none left of that one. I'll give you, give you a little bit more. Give you a little bit more. There you go. Oh, don't want to come out. There you go. Okay, now these are your chocolates, okay? I'm not going to take them back off you. You can, you can eat them. But what I want you to do is to, to just look at them and to try and exercise self-control and just not eat them for a while. But if you do eat them, I'm not going to take them back from you. They're your chocolates, okay? So let's, uh, let's just see. Well, I, I'm just going to carry on, and we'll just see the level of self-control that, uh, that Owen and uh, Nathaniel can, can have here. Remember, they're yours, so I'm not going to take them uh, uh, from you. So uh, anyway, Duncan, in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, brought a message that showed this most clearly, that Jesus submitted his desires to the will of the Father. You find in his prayer in Gethsemane, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. They're very good, very, very well disciplined here, aren't they? They're doing good. The devil in the wilderness... He got Jesus, uh, he, he said to Jesus that actually he can give him all the respect of the Jewish people if he wanted. He can give him all the worship of the nations, power over the nations if he wanted. If he would just do things God's, uh, his way, not God's way. But Jesus demonstrates in private as well as in public that his desires were always going to be submitted to what his heavenly Father wanted him to do. Jesus' desire in his, his heart was to please God the Father, and he only did what his Father wanted him to do, or, uh, um, yeah, what his Father wanted him to do, or what his Father was actually doing at the time, because he was copying what he saw his Father doing. What about you? God is the one who has given you your life. He has the absolute best for you. His ways are better than your ways. So can I encourage you to surrender your desires to his will for your life? Amen. Look at these guys. They've done so well. How difficult was that, Owen, on a scale of 1 to 10? Difficult enough? Nathaniel, sorry? Very difficult. Oh, well, well done. As you did so well, you can have some more. Yeah. 
You are allowed to share them with your siblings and your, your household, but because of health and safety, you can't share them with anyone else. There you go. <laughs> Give a round of applause. Jesus had absolute control over where he got his approval from as well. Not from man, but from God. He got his sense of self-worth and who he was wanting to please was his Father in heaven. Never doing something just to try and be accepted by people. We've all felt that pressure in life. Never being pressured into doing something he shouldn't do by friends around him or even his own family. Again, we've all felt that pressure on our lives. Giving in to the fear of man. What people think or feel about you has been the downfall of many, many people. Children and young people here, if you can stand up for God and seek his approval in the school playground, I tell you, it doesn't get more difficult anywhere else in society than in your school playground. So if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. If you don't give in to peer pressure there, you're doing very well. And remember, it's true for all of us, when people tease you, when they laugh at you, when they make you feel small or, or stupid or something like that, because of Jesus, know that whilst they mock, heaven is cheering you on. Next, Jesus had total control over his speech, only saying what, he, what the Father told him to say. The Bible says, if anyone does not stumble over what he says, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle or to control his whole body. By stumble, it doesn't mean that you might, you know, stumble over your words, that you might, you know, say the wrong word or, or, or something like that. It's talking about sinning in our speech. You know, we live in a society where words are cheap. A lot of words are used to tear people down, to speak badly about others, to curse, to swear, to, to mock people, to humiliate people. Jesus makes it clear that each one of us will be judged for every word that comes out of our mouth. And then the final area that I just wanted to look at that Jesus had control over, well, it's three areas rolled into one, but for time, it's a, I rolled it into one. Jesus had flawless mastery over himself, controlling his emotions, his actions, and his reactions you know, when it was time for him to go back to Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead, the disciples said, no, no, Jesus, they want to kill you there. But he controls his fears, which would have been there, and, uh, but goes to do what God wants him to do. God calls him to the, cro the cross. The guards come to arrest him. Peter chops one of their ears off. It's a, it's a high T uh, emotional uh, environment. It's very tense. And yet, Jesus, who could have at any moment called 12 legions, that's 72,000, there's a lot of angels he could have called to come and help him, 
He submits himself to God's plan for his life. When in the mockery of a trial that he went through, he is beaten, he is mocked, he is um, uh, spat upon by people he made. Later, he is nailed to a cross by his own creation. How does Jesus react? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. On the cross, they continue to mock him and hurl insults upon him. You can almost hear Satan's voice speaking through them as they say, if you're the son of God, come down. The same accusation that the devil used in the wilderness against Jesus. Yet Jesus, in total control of himself, despite the searing pain that would have been going through his body as well, he ignores them. He provides for his mother's future whilst he's on the cross. He fulfills scripture. He grants salvation to another criminal who is on the cross next to him. And then when he knows that he has completed all everything that's required of him, he cries out, it is finished and gives up his spirit. Incredible. How awesome is Jesus. Flawless in character with perfect mastery over himself and complete self-control, the sinless Son of God fulfills everything that God requires of him. What man could not do for God, God did through the man, Christ Jesus. He made a way for us to be put right with God. So that was Jesus' control over himself and now I want to look at the, how the Spirit wants to help us to live for God. And I think it's important to realize as we go on to the, the next uh, slide, uh, Joel. I think it's important to, to realize that Jesus is our example that we are supposed to copy. However, we all fail in our actions, our reactions, our desires, our speech our need for approval, uh, the control of our own emotions, and most likely, most of us, in the next few weeks, our appetite as well may get the better of us. It doesn't mean that we don't try, with God's help, to be more like Christ. We should try, and with the Spirit's help, we should try those things. But it's important to realize that actually... That's not what gets us favor with God. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is the one who gets us favor with God. We come to him, we put our faith in him, our trust in him, and through doing that, we are acceptable before God. We are loved. We become beloved children of God. Christ earned it for us through his sinless life. And then he went to the cross, taking on himself the punishment for all the things that you and I, even the sins of the world, were placed on him. So that we, through faith in him, could be forgiven, that we could be free, we could have eternal life. And when we put our faith in Jesus, his spirit comes to live inside of us. And as Emmy looked at, a few weeks ago, we have that resurrection power at work 
in our lives, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. The fruit of the Spirit's work in us is he changes us to want to please God and he gives us the power so that we can start to live to please God in our lives. He helps us to grow more like Jesus. So it's not a self-help or self-improvement thing that we're talking about here. It's about drawing upon God and the God's help for you. He helps us to experience the love of Christ in our own hearts. So it's not just something that's, oh yes, God loves me because the Bible says so. But yes, it is because the Bible says so. But we actually experience it in our lives because of the Holy Spirit's presence and power amongst us. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we have all died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Your life, as a Christian, is to be lived for the one who loved you enough to die to save you. And because, of he, did, because he did that, we are going to live for all eternity with renewed bodies and a perfected world to come. And his love and his life is at work in our hearts now, transforming us. His love, as it says here, is to control us, to do the things that God wants us to do. The NIV translates this passage, the love, uh, the, the love of God compels us. It encourages us towards it. The Greek word used is actually often used um, of, of a potter and how they mold things. They put pressure on things to make it go this way and not to go that way. They shape it how they want it to be. And God's love, his love is supposed to shape your life and my life to the way he wants it to be. And what God has for you, no matter how hard, and it will be hard. Jesus promises us that. He doesn't, he doesn't hide that fact. It's the narrow path. It's the way of the cross. It will be hard. Yet it will be more joy-filled and a more fulfilled life as you live for him. My friends, allow the love of God to control and compel your life to where God wants it to be. Secondly, through the Spirit's help, we can take captive our thoughts, every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. So we don't allow our mind to dwell on things that we shouldn't do. And that includes, for, for some of you, that includes the thoughts that you have about yourself. Those thoughts that, that the world or the devil put in your mind about yourself or how you're useless or worthless or those sorts of things. Actually, we allow, only allow our mind to dwell on what God says is true about you. Through the Spirit's help, 
We don't allow fears to stop us living for God. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Not that we don't think, find things frightening or scary. Actually, it's only foolish people that don't find something scary or frightening. They're scary or frightening for a reason. It's sensible sometimes to be afraid of situations. But if God has called you to do it, we don't give in to that fear. We carry on and we do it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Paul says, Stand firm because there's a temptation and pressure to not stand firm, to give in, to back down on what God wants you to do. He says, act like men. Now, ladies, this doesn't mean that you have to start burping your way through the alphabet or liking football or anything like that. It's, it's a military expression. It's talking about being brave, being courageous. So it applies to everyone. That's, that's what it's talking about there. Be brave, be courageous like good soldiers. Because it takes a lot of courage to actually live for Christ. But now I've made it clear that it applies to everybody, which it does. Men, you're part of that everybody. And it applies to you too. In a day and age where there's never been so much confusion over what it means to be a man or what it doesn't mean to be a man, here the evocative command of God to act like men, to be bold, to be courageous, to take responsibility for the things of God and stand up for Jesus. Whether you're a man's man or not, that's not what it's talking about. Whether you're uh, rugged or refined, whether you're sensitive or stoic, whether you're arty or sporty, God wants you to hear his word, to act like men for the sake of the kingdom of God. Remember, it was mummy's boy Jacob who spent all his time with the women, who was chosen over his man's man of a brother, Esau. But just in case you think that's what God's looking for, it's not, because also remember, it was the rough, tough apostle Peter, who God chose to lead the early church. God is looking for you, men and women. He's looking for us to be people who will stand up and be brave and be courageous for him. He's looking for people who will exercise great self-control over yourself over your feelings, over your emotions, over your thoughts, over the motives of your heart and make them submissive to the will of God so that through the Spirit's help you can do everything that God has called you to do. He wants us to be courageous and strong for Jesus 
Not brutish strength, note note here. It doesn't doesn't say, you know, just, you know, get it done and don't care about other people. It says, but everything is to be done in love. Everything is to be controlled, that is, by love. So then, my friends, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let us follow Christ's example by exercising great control over ourselves in order to be obedient to everything the Father calls us to, knowing that thanks to Jesus, even when we fail, which we all do from time to time, his grace enables us to keep going for him. Amen? Amen. Let me just finish by praying. And if you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I just encourage you, as I said earlier, we don't earn God's favor by trying these things. It's not about, oh, I better improve myself and then, and then God might accept me. Actually, we get accepted by God through coming to Jesus and recognizing what he has done for us on our behalf because we couldn't do it. So if you're at that place and you think, yeah, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, you may, may not have lived that long. You may be a young person here. You may have lived a long life. It's never too late to surrender your life to Jesus. So if that's you, can I encourage you just to pray this prayer in your heart along with me to God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all the things that I have done wrong. And please help me through the power of your spirit to live the rest of my life for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer, please come and see me afterwards. I'd love to speak to you. I'd love to give you a little book like this to uh, explain a bit more about what you've done and how we can help you as a church go on in your walk with God. Can I call the band back as well, please, to lead us in a song to, to finish with? But uh, I'm just going to, before I finish for the rest of us, I'm just going to um, pray for us all that God would come and that he would fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I know I need constant, fresh filling of his Holy Spirit to, to live for him. God wants to help you. He wants you to know that love, not just, oh yes, the, the love of God is, a, you know, uh, the, the, to, is, is higher and wider and deeper and longer than we can imagine. No, he says, Paul prays that we would know the love of God in our hearts. And we know that through the Spirit's help in us. So can I just encourage you to stand and uh, just put out your hand if you're comfortable, your hands in, in, in front of you, just to receive afresh from Father God who wants to fill you, wants to meet with you with his Holy Spirit right now. Just receive from God. He loves you. He's your heavenly Father. He has the best for you. He has, he has your future in 
his hands. He has the things that you understand. He has the things that you don't understand in his hands. Father, thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that we, we don't earn your favor. We couldn't, Lord. But Father, thank you that Jesus did. And he rose on high so that he might pour out his spirit upon his people. Lord, we're your people here. And we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. I just pray for every person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord God, that you would come and fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, give them that fresh sense of your love, your approval on their life, Lord God. They can't earn that, Lord God. They get it for free in Jesus. Give them that sense of that approval that you have of them, Lord God, that sense of your love, Lord God. Give them that sense of your power to live for you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill each person, I pray, Lord God. Meet with them, Lord God. Those fears, those worries, those confusions, Lord God, that they've got, Lord God, the things that are, that are weighing on their mind, even now, Lord God. Father, just come and wrap your arms around them. Lord God, may they know your hand upon them. Lord God, those those sense of failings, Lord God, those sense of, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this. Lord God, would you just wipe away those lies now in Jesus' name? And we pray, Lord God, that you would just fill them afresh with your spirit, Lord God. Thank you that in our flesh we can't do anything for you, Lord God, but you have put your spirit in us, Lord God, and your spirit helps us to live for you. So just come and have your way, we pray, Lord Jesus, amongst us. In Jesus' name.